Episode six of, as the actress said to the critic, uh-huh. comes with an added dog warning because Nancy and I are alone with Nancy's two dogs. Two dogs. Buy one, get one free. And um, they're very anxious to protect us. So there's quite a lot of <laughs> barking going oh, on. <laughs> Anyhow, so it will be as the actress and said to the critic. Who said to the dog. Who said to the dog. So there we go. <laughs> That's just going to be a new thing for this week's yeah. episode. I'm the critic, Sarah Crompton. And I'm the actress, Nancy Carroll. And this week we've been thinking about describing people on stage, um, which is a coming together of lots and lots of different things, I think, sparked partly by um, reviews of David Eldridge's play Middle, um, which stars Daniel Ryan and Claire um, Rushbrook. Yeah. And you were saying that you thought that they'd been slightly unsettled would that be a fair word about some of the things that were written I haven't spoken to them directly I just saw a thread on Dan's Twitter suggesting that uses of words like plump weren't really uh, necessary in um, a criticism of of the brilliant work that they were doing on stage and and I think it's a very interesting uh, relationship and again it you know it comes down to what you and I do and the difference between that ultimately you're telling the story of what's available to be seen eight times a week and what audiences can expect and and an overview of that and its place in you know the theatre scene and and how you feel about it as a critic and all that of course what you're seeing visually yeah comes into play as an actor you want your performance to transcend derogatory physical description. Yeah. It's a really complicated It's really complicated. It's a really complicated conversation. And I think it's a minefield for critics. Yeah. When this came up, I was thinking about why it is so difficult. And um, I, the, there are things back in the past that we we're going to talk about but with middle itself um it's it it was tricky they are a middle-aged couple yeah and part of the drama and part of its importance is that they are discussing the way in which they are stuck in their lives. So there's this sense that, you know, is this all life has to offer? Yeah. And it's a marriage which has kind of lost its spark. And it is deliberately clothed, I would suggest, to make them look, I, I said, as if they'd gone to seed. Perhaps that's wrong as well. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's how I described it. And I don't know how the actors would feel about that. But I tried to describe the situation rather than them. I felt that, the, the, that you know, that's, a, that's something that everybody or a lot of sort of middle-aged people will recognise yeah, of, yeah, a, you know, a marriage where you'd kind of, you do wear something absolutely tatty to bed and you do, you know, not look your best at most of the time, in fact. Negligee is pushed firmly to the back of the knicker drawer. Exactly. And you're in a tatty <laughs> T-shirt inside. So then it's about how... We critics write about that image put towards us. And I think that is interesting. Have people ever said things about you? My my broader observation is that it, it tends to be the use of chubby and fat. And I mean, there's a very bad example of that, which we'll come on to. Um, and less so sort of... Um, skinny and um, so on. But are, are there things that people have said about you that have really 
kind of made you, well, given really, you pause, really. It's interesting because I think that having not read all of my reviews, I can't really comment. I know that so it's, the rubbish stuff is easier to believe. That's what it comes down to. Right. I mean, we are sort of porous creatures and we make ourselves vulnerable and throw ourselves into fires on a daily basis as part of our occupation. And so in that fight or flight mechanism that we're constantly negotiating, we are exposed. And that's, you need to be exposed to do the job. And and so that can give you enormous confidence because you need enormous confidence to stand out there and do the job. But then there's a sort of wafer thin derma, yeah. which very barely protects the great vulnerability that, you know, that you also need to be emotionally available to do the job. It, so we are a contradiction in terms. Yeah. I think I've, I... I what I can remember, I think Billington once called me a, an angle poise lamp. Michael Billington, <laughs> honestly. Thank you so much. As a very tall, flat-chested lady, uh, it didn't go down very well. You know, I think I was doing Amelia Bullmore's Mammals uh, at the Bush and it, it in no way helped the description of what I was doing on yeah. stage. It just seemed to be, oh, he, she's very tall and thin. I'll call her an angle poise lamp. I, you know, yeah. maybe he thought it was sweet or something, but I thought, Angle Boy's Lamp. In terms of some of my friends and colleagues and, and what they've reported over the years, I think I've got off fairly lightly. Yeah. Some of the things that I've heard have been poisonous yeah. and um, you just don't get over it. It becomes anecdotal and humorous after the immediate shock. But, you know, it doesn't take long for actors to list off some of the comments that they've been given over the years and and you remember them yeah and it very rarely i think is a necessary part of the description of that theatrical experience i think it always feels you know not always always and of course middle is a very particular thing but um there's always it always feels a little bit like it's uh fodder yeah i do i i do think it's tricky so the 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 it it does crop up over and over again yeah. and probably it behoves us as critics really to have a think about it because my sense is that it's it's generally accidental right and that it arises from this sense as a critic that you have of wanting to um convey what something looks like because you know however much you think of it as being um an oral medium, it is effectively all theatre is a visual medium. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you're kind of processing. There was a famous row some years ago where um, one critic described um, Nicola Coughlin as a, an overweight little girl and right. she took him on. She absolutely called him out. Yeah. And she was in um, the Pride of Miss Jean Brodie and she said, this has absolutely nothing to do with my performance. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and And embarrassingly for him, I think, you know, he'd had form. He'd, he'd described her weight before. Right. And so that was a big moment where everybody paused and had a think because... Obviously, it wasn't relevant to her performance at all. And indeed, to her career or her persona or anything, it's got nothing to do really with her. Yeah. Um, and I think that stopped everybody. But I think sometimes it is kind of 
thoughtless rather than deliberate, that people are writing reasonably fast and they they are anxious to find ways of describing what they've seen and they fall back on something that is is sort of prejudiced and wrong and really should have called themselves out on when, when they write. Yeah. Um, I got... Um, I got in as an editor years, even further back. So 2014 got caught in a very, very big row that broke out over a number of male critics who had described a particular soprano as being chubby and had suggested that the way that she looked made her inappropriate for the part she was playing. Wowzers. And yeah, yeah, I know. I, at that point, defended the critic because I think, you know, as an editor, actually, you defend your writers. And I felt that it, the point he was making was that she, she shouldn't have been cast in that part because you couldn't climb over how she looked in order to um, get to the portrayal. And actually, when I watched it, it was a performance at Glyndebourne. I did feel that the costume hadn't helped her. It was a kind of particularly clownish costume, right. which I don't think made her look as beautiful as she was. And therefore, I think that kind of emphasised something. Yeah. But I defended his right to say, I'm not sure now that if I'd been the editor, I would have published the review. Yeah. And I'm also not sure that um, it was... I don't know. I I, I would really try as a critic not to write it. I think it is really hard. And I suspect what I really feel at the bottom is that there there may be a level of kind of mm, misogyny that's going into her. It's it's to do with how society's judging looks that's reflected in reviews. And that's a problem. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I just had an image of... I remember there was a bit of a kerfuffle, and I may be wrong about this, around um, when the film Titanic came out and the way that Kate Winslet's performance was entirely judged on her being not not um, waif-like in her silhouette. Um, I look back at it now, and I think we saw it recently at like Christmas. I thought, she was stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. But it just shows you... You know, and it was a brilliant performance and it's a, it's a fantastic film and I love it. I even love anything with a bit of romance. Um, but it <laughs> yes, was, uh, it, it was, you know, really, really, you know, interesting that of that time that people, you know, were judging and that, you know, that's not so long ago. Yeah. And, and obviously there's a lot of, uh, as we've said before, there's lots of stuff that's up for grabs at the moment about changing meaning. And I think this this should come into play yeah. because actually we need a new set of adjectives, you know, or at least to to look at why offence is caused by the old adjectives. I think that, you know, it's I mean I, I it's another conversation, and we will have a conversation uh, further down the line about aging and about one's own use of terms around. That and, and the judgment, not only that society puts on actors as they get old, because, of course, there is that voyeuristic element to every part of our industry, whether we like it or not. And we naively uh, remain surprised when these descriptions come into any kind of judgment in whether we're originally cast or not cast or um, 
you know, or the reviews or, or anything, how you think, oh, my gosh, how have they use that word. But but of course, it, as you say, of course, it's part of it. Of course, the visual element is, is um, you know, integral to the experience, whether it's on stage or on film or anything, you know, and and we do change and taste moves forward as as our as we sag but um <laughs> but i think that we have to we have to reevaluate um the the use of words and and at least give people the chance to you know yes of course tell those stories and yes say okay we're not going to wear tight fitting jeans when we're at home all the time and sexy tops and whatever and the the costume designer of middle very specifically chose clothes yeah. that that told that story yeah, well, it is interesting. Winslet's really, Kate Winslet's really interesting as an example because at some levels she's um, a sign of a shift in how the industry is thinking because she um, she has actually suffered throughout her career yeah. from a, a kind of barrage of um, commentary on her looks. I mean, there's no doubt. And she has pushed back against that incredibly strongly and effectively about why am I always judged on how I look yeah. rather than how I um, act. And I think she's she has been totally brilliant in that. And, and in, a, in a funny way, you feel that finally, you know, when she got mayor of Easttown, yeah. That was um, an indication that something is shifting because there she was still looking fabulous, but looking like a woman of her age, a slightly, you know, sort of more harassed and uh, less glamorous version of herself yeah. in a primetime ser- series that won numerous awards and that recognized i think this re- i think what what's slightly happening in television is that there's a recognition that women are the viewers um they are at least 50% and quite often more than that of the viewers yeah. and that women want to see stories about women who look like them yeah, not yeah. who look like um hollywood's definition of a starlet you know and you go right back in to the history of hollywood and you know anorexia, being starved, forced plastic surgery, all those things right from the beginning. So there's been a very definite way in which the movie industry has shaped how we see the world. Yeah. And I think um, that, 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 that there's a kind of, yeah, I am feeling kind of encouraged that there is this, this shift in the makers of television, particularly, yes, which is recognizing that women want to see women, and they want to see women they recognize. I always uh, was amazed by that line um, in um, Notting Hill, a film of which I am very, very fond. Where Julia Roberts has that amazing line about "I've been starving for my whole career," yeah, yeah, and you realise that that actually is true for most Hollywood actresses. They are literally hungry because they are conforming to a, a, a body shape and an image that is not normal no. at many levels. Well, you don't see people who aren't sort of nubile and pert and firm making love on telly very often. I mean, I think that needs to shift. There need to be, you know, love love making 
of all shapes and sizes. And I think that's starting to occur. Yeah. Um, I did a series last year uh, and the producers were talking about... You did a lovely series last year. Let's pick it up. Murder in Provence. It was a lovely series. Thank you. Yeah, Murder in Provence. And we were talking about the nature of being an older couple and being an older couple with you know, prostate problems and menopausal symptoms and all. But they, but Sheila Stevenson, who wrote the series, um, very much wanted them to be actively in love, actively lovemaking. It's a proper, you know, real marriage where, you know, that they chat and love and laugh and it's all happening and nothing has been put on hold. Nothing's gone to sleep. It's all very much there. But, you know, they're older and... and it is lovely, and it's you and um, Roger Allen and yeah. on Britbox and soon coming. Coming on to ITV. Um, um, and well worth watching. And those scenes between the two of you are really interesting because they are, you know, it's a detective show and it's kind of great fun from that point of view. But those scenes are a reflection of a kind of intimacy and a kindness to people who've lived a lot and, um, yeah, have emotional lives. But very specifically, you know, you don't... You don't see that. And I think that's what they wanted and what the producers have done. ITV and Britbox and Monumental have done so brilliantly is that they have very much made them a a sort of sexually active couple who are, um, you know, have had sort of crazy tragedy in their lives, but they don't wear it. And, you know, they've been around the block. They've been married before, but, you know. And so those sorts of non-perfect, imperfect body, older couples are you know you're seeing that more but you sort of, you do want to see them making love and you do want to see them snogging and you do want to see people of all shapes and sizes snogging yeah. and that flesh and age be celebrated yeah. um in a completely different way that it isn't oh they've really let themselves go yeah. they've got a bit of a tummy no they are alive and kicking and you know they don't miss out on second helpings and they you know absolutely desirable and gorgeous and not in spite of but because of so that's yeah you know that's the thing isn't it it's like oh but they're still so sexy no they are sexy not still you know the 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 essence we need to celebrate essence that's the conversation that needs to happen yeah you know that that what is sexuality what is uh shagability what is all of those things and those the words around that, the descriptive words and how we see ourselves, we need to be sending completely different messages and I, back down the line. I totally agree with that. And I do think a new generation is sort of really conscious of that um, in, in, in all um, forms of um, entertainment, film and TV, film lagging behind TV ploughing forward and then this week in theatre the other thing I saw which I utterly adored I mean my jaw just ached with happiness really (laughs) I I really loved it was Legally Blonde oh yes but um, Legally Blonde I've always liked it's a witty clever musical about a woman who learns to value her brain more than her appearance however it has got issues because of the definition of that appearance. And it's all sort of very pretty girls skittering in pink. Yeah. And Lucy Moss, who is the co-writer and co-director of Six, which is another musical that celebrates diversity, has directed this version of Legally Blonde at um, Regent's Park. And I really wish you could have come, Nancy. And I think you should take your daughter because what Lucy's done is just simply say we're going to completely redefine what 
beauty is yeah. in how she's done it. So it's the most diverse cast in a musical that I've I've really ever seen. And it's diverse in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of size. It's cast as Elle Woods, the heroine. Courtney Bowman, who is, she calls herself plus size. She's mixed race. She's got blonde sort of dreads. She's just brilliant yeah and because the world presented is so different and actually with extra fizz and extra bounce yeah you don't question any what the idea of beauty you just say all these people are beautiful all these people you know when you said celebrating flesh i mean there is really quite a lot of flesh yeah on display fabulous and you and it has an energy and a joy and a complete sense of shaking everything up that um i i I admire so much and also enjoyed so much and i just think you know it's triumphantly celebratory of us all yes 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 well it's interesting though isn't it in terms of that's it it's how it's sold and you know and uh, and flesh by virtue of the fact that we all have it is it is part of being human and so we need to have a conversation about ourselves about what is about age and about what it is to be human what it is to be healthy what it is to celebrate all of that and and um you know there's still we've got still so yeah. many hang-ups that that from you know, from Victorian England, from, you know, the 50s, from the whole sort of Stepford Wives ideology about, you know, what a perfect partner looks like. The, you know, whether we like it or not, those it's in amongst, in the sort of DNA of our our language. And, and we sort of need to just call it out. And everything that, that we've been handed back as a generation about around, you know, taking care of yourself, whether that's plastic surgery or, or whatever it's all still so secret yeah. you know and that weight loss is somehow a mark of success and that um you know and that we don't talk about our age because you don't ask a person about their age because it's generally rude you think actually what is that yeah. what's that about that's yeah. just such an odd thing when you think that people are robbed of life you know ripped untimely you know from the earth at every possible age you know, staying alive for long periods of time should be celebrated yeah, at yeah. every possible turn. Yeah. So if somebody is 65, don't ask her age or don't ask him and say, 65, yeah, yeah. you're 65, bloody hell, that's so brilliant. Yeah. And, and we need to have that those sorts of conversations and, and actually call it and not, you know, of course everybody wants to... You know, we still get stupidly flattered if somebody goes, oh, my God, you don't possibly look 48. Oh, thank you very much. It's just so lovely. Oh, God, I feel great. You know, but actually, what what's wrong with looking yeah. your age? What's- but it's also, I think it's beyond age. I think you said something really important there because you said it's about being healthy. Yeah. And I think that's actually one area that everybody just needs to start thinking differently about weight. Because if theatre's the mirror of society, then actually then what we're really talking about is getting the mirror to be both a better reflection and a um, kind of more as inspiring reflection in a sense as well because I think so I think the thing about weight is that 
skinniness yeah. has always been um, associated with A, with beauty, but B, with sort of somehow being better. There, there's a kind of weird association of, of um, which really goes right back of thinness being sort of, I don't know, intellectual and better. I, I, I can't really put my finger on exactly why it is. And I'm trying Maybe to think. Maybe it's to do with control. Is it Maybe control? it's to do with control. Whereas in fact, what we should be celebrating is everybody who is um, healthy and just yeah. kind of respecting and living in the body that they have, but respecting that body, you know, yeah. not, you, I think you need also to get the, you know, you don't want to kind of encourage the idea that, that, um, you know, excess weight, if you're, it, it, you know, it can be bad for you. So I don't want, I mean, I, you know, in terms of um, but people illness, have a natural- but, but what you do need to encourage is the idea that it is impossible to have a society where everybody looks the same and where everybody conforms to the Hollywood goddess image. Yeah. Or indeed to the Hollywood stud image, because though I think it is getting better for women, I wonder if it's getting harder for men who now feel that they have to conform to this sort of ripped abs and kind of, um, yeah, sort of skinny image, especially if they're taking their top off, you know, there's, I do wonder if there is something going on that's made it harder for men. I mean, every actor, if they have to do... Uh, a naked scene or take their top off you know we laugh about it but we will convert our diet to entirely protein based and go to the gym every day yeah or, or go and have <laughs> fake tans or whatever and it's just accepted yeah you like if you're doing oh no i've got to do this i mean i was on a job recently and uh, there were uh, quite a number of men who had to strip down to a certain level of nakedness and none of them were eating properly and they you know they were all doing lots of exercises when they weren't being used and all the rest of it and you said no it's absolutely there we you know you're you are required to do a job I mean I think whenever I've had to take my clothes off of course and you just that's what you do It's, it's expected because you know you want to look good but there's so much uh exposure and vanity comes into that of course because you know that whether you like it or not you will be judged yeah you know whenever it's interesting that there's a thing that when you um see naked people on stage it's a bit like seeing animals on stage you you are completely taken out of the story whether you like it or not and you go oh they're naked uh oh there's a dog um not that the two are associated in any way shape or form but you know you just know that an audience will go oh gosh that's what their bum looks like yes oh oh, oh, that's what their boobs is impossible and it's impossible to avoid that and and as a um, watcher of contemporary dance I'm always sort of slightly um yeah not not alarmed when he says you know there will be so many nudity in this production but you kind of go oh yeah okay yeah and because yeah you're absolutely right it does take you out of yourself even only fractionally yeah there's a moment where you go oh yes okay or you know, that's what they look like. Um, actually, in Lethal, uh, Legally Blonde, it's very funny because in the original musical, which I think was in 2010, they did have a dog on stage and it had exactly that effect. The whole show stopped while this dog appeared. Yeah, yeah. And um, in the um, Regent's Park Open Air Theatre production, which I enjoy so much, they have people dressed as dogs. Oh, really? And it's just a <laughs> sign of how much she has thought about it and how much she really has thought about it. Yeah. 
you know, it's witty to have a dog as day, but is it more, does it stop you? And is it more witty, therefore, to have an actor pretending to be a dog? Yes. So you've kind of got a knowingness about the effect of the cuteness on stage. Well, we did it years and years ago. Um, my husband and I did a production of uh, See How They Run in town. And we, our real life dog, Digby, was in the show. And he was brilliant. Um and uh, he was a know, very brilliant dog. He, he was a very brilliant dog. God rest his soul. And um, he, yeah, he he was lovely. And and he did the whole tour, and then came into the Duke of York's, and not Duke of York's, uh, the Duchess, and um, and he was fantastic. And we would sweat our our bottoms off for two hours doing this crazy nineteen forties farce. And you'd come out, and everyone would go, "Oh my God, the dog!" <laughs> um, but he was brilliant. And even though. Uh, I wasn't in the first run of the show. I did the West End bit. You know, even when it was my dog and I was expecting to see him, and I think I saw it in Norwich or somewhere, it, when he came on, you're like, oh, my God, it's a dog. And he, Actually, it's my dog. Um, but it, <laughs> it, it is sort of shocking because there's something slightly uh, possibly feral about animal energy. It's different yeah. to controlled actor human energy that they come on, you think, oh my God, are they going to stick to their yeah. thing? I, mean, I can remember years ago doing a commercial with a cat and uh, the cat was being paid a lot more than me and, and absolutely refused to do what it was told. And it, which is hilarious. I love the way that this, uh, in, in the style of this podcast, we managed to effortlessly seg- segue from a really serious conversation about how you, how you present bodies on stage to the effect of dogs on I know. stage. Sorry, I should, I should <laughs> but, but it, you're absolutely right. It's the same, it is that moment of, I don't know, it's very interesting. I think it's quite an interesting comparison of how you just sort of pull that... Um, how it pulls you out of something as yes. well as into something. Well, when I, I mean, I've done it a few times and it, it particularly with a younger audience, there will always be a sort of <gasps> moment yeah, of, yeah. you know, of nudity, which is why I think it's important to question um, when you put it on stage. It doesn't mean that it isn't sometimes necessary and sometimes exactly what the story requires, that rawness and vulnerability. It's an interesting one. I think that... The experience, even though it's momentary, of the first point of exposure to the point where you get the audience back again, and that could be three seconds or three minutes, whatever it is, the end of that is empowering. Right. If the audience ultimately accept that it has been part of the story. So it can be incredibly shocking and uh, dramatic. Um, and sometimes you sort of want to go there. When I did Wojciech and I had to breastfeed uh, John Boyega, I resisted. I did resist, not because I, I have an issue with necessarily exposing my boobs, but I just thought as an image, it's so extreme. And um, But in the end, the director and the writer just were thought that nothing would create an image as raw or ugly enough, which is not always the nicest thing that you want to be, that your naked boobs to be associated with. It's <laughs> raw. Yeah, we know we really need that ugliness. You're like, oh, no, no, that's no, fine, that's fine. Um, but, that's you know, what it is being an actress, Nancy. Well, exactly, that's it. But, it, but at the same time, you think, well, it, nobody's saying, oh, that's Nancy's boobs, even though they momentarily had that, you know, thought. Yeah. Ultimately, you think, okay, why is that happening? And it's because that man is in such a 
desperate state and he has such a dysfunctional relationship with his mother that no other image would be as ugly or as inappropriate right or yeah, so as it's deliberate it's used deliberately to jar yeah and i i suppose coming back to um a, a sort of our starting point at some levels when that happens then you are you are as a writer you're going to write about it differently so yeah. what you write about will be a, a sort of image of bodies you know that are being used in a particular way. Yeah, yeah. So um, the danger is when you're you're allowing the image of the body to just become a kind of almost lazy shorthand for yeah. how you're describing something. And I do think coming back to pulling it round to that that original point, I think um, it's very interesting thinking about language and how you use language. Yeah. And I think one of the great um, provocations really of um, actors taking on critics about descriptions is just to make them um, really really think about how they are using language and what they are saying with it. It's just good practice when you're writing something to think is this exactly what I want to say? Yeah. Is this exactly what I want to convey? Yeah. And then at least if you use a word that um, somebody finds offensive or an actor finds upsetting, you can defend what you've written on the grounds that you really had that momentary pause yes. and thought, is this is this appropriate language? But I think, you know, they're really, we're very traditional and slow burn in our cultural advancement in the West, generally. And I think, you know, we are reluctant to change. And, um, you know, the nature of how we see parts, particularly in um, more classical plays, and and the conversations that are opening up, you know, to change uh, gender stereotyping and um, physical stereotyping and uh, people of colour, you know, the, all the nature around opening up conversations around Black Lives Matter and how that, that has shifted casting for all the right reasons. You know, really and truly, there are very, very interesting conversations to, ha- to have that we've touched on in previous episodes about going back to the real bare bones of the necessity of a particular character in a particular story. Yeah. And if an actor can move that story forward in the best possible way for that production at that time, then you have to trust that the casting team and that the director and the producers can make a choice not based on sex, not based on gender, not based on uh, identity, sexuality, or the the colour of their skin, or who they are in the world, but entirely about whether that performer can perform that part at the, you know, in this moment in time to the best of their ability. So it is an entire, entirely a meritocracy. Yes. And And I think, though, actually, it goes... Slight, I mean, this is kind of a radical thing for a critic to say. I think it goes slightly beyond that because if I come back to my mirror thing and yeah. about you wanting theatre almost to reflect, you know, the best of yourself part, yeah. partly or, or at least to reflect change, to help change, which I think is part of the role of theatre, is to encourage conversation, encourage debate, encourage yeah. change, then actually it's, it, it, 
it's vital that people like Lucy Morrison and directors who are younger and have a different vision are really presenting it with all the passion and the force that they they can do. Yeah. And equally, then I I think it it, it is up to us who write about theatre yeah. to make sure that we're. I don't think anybody now would say what Tyner said in 1960, that no. a woman was playing a middle-aged. I don't, yeah, yeah. So we have progressed in eight years. We have made some progress. But I do think you're absolutely right. It is about language. It is about critics starting to think about using descriptive language that isn't predictable language. Yeah, yeah. And finding ways of, if you like you know, improving our end of the job and, and really, really thinking about it. And you can do it even if you're writing quickly. You, you it, know, I think that, and I think that is But there's is a thing important. as well, I think that if it is, it, if, if it is part of the storytelling, then, then you know, that the, there's a conscious, um, there's a conscious quality to the way that that's told. And so, and, and that it is with permission, you know, that, if there were, if there was a way, I haven't read the review of of Middle, but if there was a way in which it was told that the the writer and the performers have said, we are consciously putting this on the stage, and therefore it is up for grabs in terms of judgment. When I did Manor, for example, the brilliant Edward Judge, you played, you know, the 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 larger member of the company, because part of Moira's sort of beef you know, in terms of all of the things that she wanted to talk about was about fat shaming and about prejudice and snobbery around people's size. And so she deliberately cast an actor who was, you know, of a larger size. And we didn't have, I don't think, ultimately, we had enough conversations with Ed about that. There should have been a conversation. And he's an incredibly lovely, lovely and brilliant man. And I think, um, you know, but... And I'm sure that the director had it with him privately. But I think there we could have had a conversation with him at some point in the rehearsal period about, are you okay with this? Yeah. Because this is part of the storytelling yeah. and you have been cast very specifically. And so that that's a big part of it as well. It's like, if it has been put out there as part of the story, as you said, coming back round, then it, it used to, we can have a conversation yeah. about it. If it is... Um, a slight sort of fly in the ointment flipping. Well, yeah, it's an attack on an individual, yeah. isn't it? And, know, and, 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 and as I say, a thoughtless remark about an individual. I think yeah. that that's probably, or maybe um, not even thoughtless, just kind of incidental remark. I think incidental remarks are kind of quite... Or as you said, slightly lazy. Yeah. You know, that there are ways to Getting talk about troubled by other critics that, having said slightly lazy. No, I mean I, I mean, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do what you do, which is to sort of, you know, watch a play, keep your head about you, get home and go bang, 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 bang and get it out. And, and it's always brilliantly written and you are an amazing writer. And I think that I don't know how, you know, to, to keep all that so completely fresh in your head like that and and you know so you can understand how these things well it is hard and you do I do get worried sometimes and I do get worried actually having just to bring things to conclusion I and I I get worried that sometimes I'm not brave enough in how I um do describe things and I I think at some point in a future episode we'll ask some of my colleagues on to see how they weigh up the decisions yeah um about the words that they use because but I do think just that kind of being careful is um yeah, it's a good lesson in life sometimes. And yeah, so maybe that's where we'll end. Yeah. After having a long digression about dogs who have both been very, very good and quiet. Very quiet, very present. 
very present and listening <laughs> to um, this episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic. So it's goodbye from me, the critic. And goodbye from me, the actress. <laughs>